Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of Cine Matters, the film podcast coming from and to a cinema near you. My name is Ella Kemp. I'm Dan Sari. And once again, we are your loyal hosts, back with another film that we think you should go and see in cinemas this fortnight. Dan, how have you been in the past two weeks? It's been a busy two weeks, half term for kids and adults, I guess. So it's been really busy at the cinema with a big new release. What have you been up to? Yes, I've also been at the cinema enjoying half term as much as one can enjoy half term as someone who no longer gets half term holidays I have had time to watch films which has been good since London Film Festival has finished I have watched a lot more at home the one that I have watched this fortnight it was around Halloween I tried to train myself to watch scarier films than I usually would because I don't always watch horror so I watched American Psycho which is on Netflix and I loved it I thought it was brilliant have you seen American Psycho? yeah it's one of those films that has multiple scenes that really stick in your mind and it's really hard to get rid of those certain scenes and I hope you have by now They've stuck with me, but in a way that, you know, young Christian Bale sticks in your mind in quite a good way. Have you seen anything worth recommending? Do you know, it's been so busy. I've only watched two films in the last... Oh my god! This is insanity. But I did watch Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far On Foot, which Mm -hmm. is new to Amazon. Gus Van Sant film that premiered at Sundance earlier this year. And I really enjoyed that. It's about the cartoonist John Callahan. Now that we've established what you should stream at home, Dan, tell us which big cinema release we're talking about this fortnight. We're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a biopic of Freddie Mercury and his band that he's in, Queen. It follows Freddie from joining the band Smile, which had the original members Roger Taylor and Brian May, and leads from there, following his life and struggles up until 1985, culminating in their Live Aid gig. Fantastic. So a lot of people have been waiting for this film for a very long time. It's been in the works for a really long time, like eight years or something. So it's had quite a troubled production history, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was attached to Brian Singer. He's a big name director. Mm-hmm. He directed the X-Men films and Usual Suspects and a really bad Superman film. So that should have driven it through production, but it didn't for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then there was trouble with casting. Originally, Sasha Baron Cohen was cast as Freddie Mercury. Then eventually, Brian May and Roger Taylor, who were producers on the film, they still are they decided Sasha Baron Cohen was the wrong fit. Ben Whishaw was billed to play Freddie Mercury for a little while. It seemed that they ran into similar difficulties, so Ben Whishaw left the project, and then Rami Malek came along. Rami Malek, who is famous for Mr. Robot on uh, Amazon TV, and also he was in Short Term 12 as well in a small role. But he hasn't really had a big film role like this, where he's been the lead and had to carry the film so much, because this film is really gotta live and die on Freddie Mercury. Because a lot of people you know care a lot about Freddie Mercury which is why so many people have been coming to see this film so many people and also you stand and talk to people and you say oh you Queen fans and they say yeah I was actually at Live Aid I've heard that so many times and it's crazy well obviously 100,000 people are at Live Aid but the number of people who are then coming to see the film in the cinema we work in that's pretty cool it's a pretty small cinema as well I've seen a few people like that quite a few people just coming in by themselves on weekdays just booking solo armchairs and then getting a very big popcorn you can tell this is like a very big outing for them they'll always turn up about 20 minutes early as well because you can tell they just want the whole experience It's lovely, it's great. And the turning up 20 minutes early also comes through in the ticket sales, which are booking up so far in advance, because you can tell that people just blindly book it, because everyone knows the name Bohemian Rhapsody of the song, irrespective of what they know about the film at all. It's quite a clever hook to get people to come and buy tickets. This is like the Bond effect, I feel. It's one of those British films that no matter who you are, even if you're only going to see like one or two films at the cinema every year, this is going to be that film that you see. Absolutely. And like, even if someone else books it for 
for you if they just say Bohemian Rhapsody you will instantly have some kind of idea mm. of what you're in for you know some people don't like Queen so it'll be a very easy way to avoid this who, one who are these people let me speak to them look I don't know them and they won't come on this podcast <laughs> but somewhere in the world some people will not see Bohemian Rhapsody but we both have so come at me Dan what did you think of it I really enjoyed this film Ella I'm not one to really go on about how much I love biopics that much I have a lot of issues with structure of biopics facts and things like that and I'm not gonna try and pretend that this film doesn't have those issues but the simple fact is I'm a big Queen fan and I really enjoyed it. That's really lovely to hear because as someone who famously on this podcast, we've talked about several biopics now, at least two, maybe three already. You don't like biopics and you're very vocal about this. Also, this film, a lot of the early reviews that it's got, a lot of people aren't happy about this film. So for you to be positive, it's really great. It is great. And what's also great is that I've been talking to people as they're coming out the film and it's not just me. People... Uh, the wide variety of people that I've spoke to really like this film. So there is this big disparity between the audience who are seeing this film and thinking it's great and critics who are hating it. Now, this is when I come in and say critics are part of the audience. This is a shame when often fans, now I'm not saying you, but often fans of a particular topic, be it musicals or be it a specific actor or in this case Queen, they'll be very quick to box critics into this into this corner that doesn't have any emotions or any understanding of what makes a good film actually because they're critics and therefore they're kind of desensitised to what's good or bad. Which I think is a great shame because I don't know which side we stand on. But, you know, we're dissecting this film. We're criticising it. And I think I like Queen as well. But I don't think I like the film as much as you. Probably not. I do like it in an inordinate amount. That's fine. Like, that. that's really good for you. But then if I don't like it, is that because I'm a critic? I think it's because you're heartless. And you have no soul. I totally get your point. I think if I was going to evaluate the film, unbiased critic... I would point out all the issues. But all with- critics are biased because there are some critics in the same way as fans. Like, you know what you like and I think you will read one critic over another because you, after a while, you kind of get a sense of their tastes yeah. and what they know a lot about as well as what they like. But critics are totally biased. I think it's the way that you talk about what you like and what you don't like that makes your opinion more or less informed. I don't think that critics have any less heart than your average moviegoer. Probably not. Maybe they don't see the entertainment value as strongly as say my mum does she might ignore some of the technical problems of a film because she hasn't seen as many films all right well and that that isn't a problem either with audience or with critics it's just a difference all right well in that case let's dig into this film (laughs) what did you love about it there's something just inherently fantastic about seeing camera pan over a hundred thousand people all clapping in time to radio gaga which is a song that i love i couldn't help but smile at that bit (laughs) And other bits, hearing Freddie for the first time harmonise with the band members in Doing Alright outside their gig. It's just moments like that where you're like, wow. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's so nice. As bad as the script may be, it's those moments and sort of seeing how they recorded Bohemian Rhapsody, stuff like that. It's really interesting things that you don't know about. Mm. You forget it may be a messy film or it may not hold together very strongly or it may not go as far as you want it to because of those magical moments that you'll remember yeah. and that's why I really enjoyed it I completely get that and I'd be lying if I'd say that I wasn't smiling and enjoying myself in a lot of those moments as well but I think what annoyed me is that the way that this film is stitched together stopped me appreciating those moments 
for their individual strength because they were all bunched together in a way that for me really just dropped any tension or adrenaline or any emotion that I was holding on to. Like whenever they were singing, whenever they were on stage, whenever they were recording anything, I was thinking this is amazing. But the scenes never felt like they were being introduced in a way that was really climactic. There was rarely much build up. It was like it was always Christmas day and you never got the fun month of December leading up to it. Why do you think that is? I think it's because Brian May and Roger Taylor were heavily involved in this film and therefore the way that the music is shown is brilliant. But that's it. Nothing else feels as brilliant or as fleshed out or as developed or as rich or as deep because I think inevitably their history was messy. Freddie Mercury's history was messy. It's something that we've all very loosely heard about and and, you know, we know of him as this kind of passionate and conflicted whirlwind creative. And you do get glimpses of that. You vaguely hear about his parties and his sexuality and drugs, and but not a lot. You never hear about that as much as you hear about the music. And the music is great, so obviously all those moments are great. But I was sold a biopic about Freddie Mercury, and I don't think that this is what this is. Yeah, I can't help but agree with you, in fact. I think that there are moments between Freddie and his wife or Freddie and his parents that are really start should be very dramatic and I'm interested in those and then it drops them and goes back to a montage which yeah. is very enjoyable but I don't feel like I learned a lot yeah. about Freddie Mercury. And it's the same structure and over and over again when he's bickering with the rest of the band and you can sense this kind of argument brewing and there's obviously resentment and you know for good reason everything will just be tempered out when mm. you just hear John Deacon playing yeah. the bass line of Another One Bites the Dust and I'm like hang on hang on hang on there was clearly enough of an argument for it to be scripted into the film and you're gonna just kind of cover over it with this baseline that obviously we're all really into <laughs> when you start playing another one bites the dust that's the only time that you're gonna show me freddie mercury going into a gay club <laughs> like really you're just gonna make it as kind of this illustration of like this footnote that just looks good as a makeshift music video i think footnotes is a really good word to use to describe all these little bits it's like they had a four-hour film a producer came in and was like we need to cut this down to two hours make yeah. it normal and so so they cut out everything that makes the film into an, a normal narrative. So you get these clips instead yeah, with no through That's so line. true. Instead of cutting out the stuff that usually illustrates film, yeah. so that would be, in other films, the music, because some films don't have music and that's fine. So instead of cutting that out, they cut out all the things that would provide some kind of plot. But I mean, it's more than plot because all this stuff happened. So they cut out all of the stuff that some people came to see the film for in favour of something that you could have just listened to on Spotify. Totally. And what they're doing when they're doing that, as well as cutting out important bits, is lying to us, oh, which is my main issue with the film. I should say, first of all, that with most biopics, it's the case that you go because maybe you're interested in the person that the film's about, but you don't really know that much. Mm. I didn't know anything about Ray Charles or Johnny Cash or whatever. This is a subject that I'm familiar with. And so you start to notice all these little inaccuracies or where they've sort of changed the timeline mm -hmm. of things. Like first I noticed that they were playing Fat Bottom Girls like four years before it was written. The big killer is Mike Myers character. Mm -hmm. who plays Ray Foster. Ray Foster, who doesn't exist as a real person. Ray Foster is based on a EMI exec called Roy Featherstone, who was at EMI at the time, that Queen were recording Night at the Opera. And famously, he was against Queen releasing Bohemian Rhapsody as a single, which is in the film. But... <laughs> 
they take it really far and there is a big split with EMI in the film that just never happened. Oh really? Yeah, they had friction with Roy Featherstone, but it's they portray him as this big bad guy and then they revisit it later in the film and it feels like a bit of a gimmick, like a, a screenwriting laziness that a screenwriter Anthony McCartan has come up with to add drama to a film that already had drama yeah and it feels like a cliche i've also heard of another big timeline gap at the end so freddie mercury passed away due to aids related illnesses in the film he tells his bandmates on the morning of the live aid performance which obviously makes for quite an impactful scene there's a lot going on there and you know if ever there's a moment of a bit of adrenaline and some stakes being high the stakes are very high in that moment do you know why the stakes are so high dan because Because apparently, I didn't know this before, apparently he was only diagnosed with AIDS several years after the Live Aid performance. Really? Yeah. So it's just silly. It's very manipulative. I mean, because it's so powerful, I would have really never thought to fact check it, to look it up. I think someone told me, but I wouldn't question it because it's such a big thing that why would you mess that up? Why would you mess up that timeline? Yeah, to have the Live Aid concert as the climactic event, I guess. And I guess in Anthony McCartan's world, that makes sense. The one that really I think is silly is uh, the big Freddie Leaves the Band scene Mm. which again never happens in the film he leaves the band to start a solo career and then they come back together for Live Aid in the film they portray Queen's breakup as all Freddie Mercury's fault that he left the band to start a solo career and that that was the end of Queen which isn't the case Roger Taylor was actually first to do put out a solo album in 1982 then Queen had sort of a hiatus year in 1983 but it wasn't ever an official split and in that year Brian May also released a solo album uh, and Roger Taylor did another one. And this was all two years before Freddie Mercury released his solo album. Oh my God, this is insane. So what they've done there is they've created a structure of the protagonist gains popularity and starts mixing with the wrong people. And then he gets a bit too big for himself, leaves his friends behind, has a dramatic fall and has to return crawling on his knees to his friends, which is, I'm sure you'll agree, it's a familiar structure for a film. And to adapt to a cliched structure from a real story seems utterly ludicrous when there's enough drama in their story anyway. Oh my god. This is a structure, off the top of my head, this is the structure of films like Mean Girls and Shark Tale. <laughs> Look, I wish I knew why it was structured this way, and I really wish it wasn't structured this way. But, as you said earlier, you still enjoyed it, and I still enjoyed parts of it. And, you know, everyone that we're seeing coming in and out of the cinema is really enjoying it. And I think that if people haven't seen Mean Girls or Shark Tale, they won't have as many problems with it. Probably not. Watch them as a trilogy. That's what I would suggest. <laughs> okay, I have one more positive point Great. to to kind of round this off. When I think of Queen, I actually can imagine the way they looked, which I can't say for a lot of bands in the 80s. That could just be my fault. But, so therefore, when they were played in this film, there are specific beats that you've got to hit in the way these people look. Which I think isn't always the case, but when you're doing biopics and you've got an idea of what people look like, obviously, if they don't look the same, that really bugs me. It is insane how similar 
these guys look to the members of Queen. I mean, I think Rami Malek less so because he's known for other roles and he is just a very good actor in this for many reasons. But Brian May, Roger Taylor and John Deacon, it's insane how similar they look. Like, they're so good. I've heard criticism from other people saying that while Rami Malek is amazing, which I agree with, they think the other guys are quite boring because they think that the real life guys are quite boring. I wouldn't really agree. I thought that everyone was quite charming in this film and I really enjoyed watching all of them and I thought they were really fun. But yeah, honestly, I think if if the script doesn't serve Freddy as well as it serves the other bandmates, in a way that's helped a lot by these guys' performances, everyone looks good, I think. You know, the other band members who are producers on this film, yeah, they look good. I think if anybody is criticising how they act, that how these actors act, it's probably because they aren't given as much time. Of course. Because the film is about... Freddie Mercury. It's not about Queen. Well, but it's more about Queen than I thought it was going to be. That's for sure. I think there's the amount of times that we come back to the to the recording studio and you see them working out a riff. Wasn't expecting it. Uh, you know, I did enjoy it, but I think the film isn't entirely about Freddie Mercury or entirely about Queen. It's kind of in this odd middle ground between being a this is how we made our career and this is how he lived his life. As you said before, I think that's because there's too much of a, a sort of worship of the music. Yeah. And in doing that, they have to show the band and stuff. And I think it could have worked a lot better if they'd focused a bit more on on Freddie as a character, mm. like you're saying. Sort of like how Love and Mercy focused on Beach Boys lead singer Brian Wilson and how his life changed dramatically either side of pet sounds that could have been a good structure yeah that sounds like what i wanted from bohemian rhapsody having said all of this i'm not mad i saw this film i enjoyed a lot of bits of it when i was watching it my review overall you know would be and was negative but i'm happy for everyone enjoying it how happy would you say you are tell me dan how would you like me to evaluate this so we have to evaluate this on a a linear scale out of five things and this week how many galileos would you sing in a ludicrously high-pitched voice in order to see this film please don't answer please just sing the galileos Oh my god, I can't do that. <laughs> Dan, people will stop listening to this podcast. No one will ever listen to us ever again. It's a very good question because that is, that's a pretty tall task. While I've enjoyed the music of Queen, I definitely rather listen to them sing an infinite number of Galileos rather than commit to too many myself. Therefore, if I was really pushed to, I would sing two Galileos out of five. Two. That is, that is harsh. Well, I mean, it's a tall task and they do it very well. And I don't need to see this film again to know and hear them doing it really well. That's totally fair. Uh, I would go the other way. I think I would over the top and, and with a strut sing for Galileo. Oh my God. Yeah. I think this is the first time that I've recommended a film more than you have. Yeah. As well. Really exciting. And it's a <laughs> biopic that you're recommending yeah. more than me. Yeah, I know. This Crazy. is really unprecedented. Well... On that basis, I think we both love Queen, but Dan hates biopics and would sing four Galileos out of only five possible Galileos that one could sing. If this isn't enough to make you see the film, then obviously you don't know us very well. From the cinema to a cinema near you, go and see Bohemian Rhapsody. Now that we've wrapped this film for the week, Dan, what do we have coming up next? It is busy in November, let me tell you. Last Friday, we had Mike Lee's new film, Peterloo, and the new Nutcracker film come out. 
which you've seen. I have. It's a Christmas film that looks lovely. A Christmas film in November. What more could you want? Look, Halloween's done, so it's obviously <laughs> Christmas now for the next six weeks. That is a common fact. Uh, coming out this week, we've got Widows, which is the new Steve McQueen film. I love this film, so please go and see it. As do I. We also have Wildlife coming out this week, which is the directorial debut from Paul Dano. Which I love. <laughs> and also The Grinch, the animated remake, I guess. Yeah. Uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch voicing the green man. Green man? Green monster. Green man, green monster. It's not all Christmas films this month, though, as we also have in a few weeks Suspiria, which is the remake of the Dario Argento classic by Call Me By Your Name director Luca Guadagnino. And that same day, if that doesn't sound like your kind of thing, we have the new Fantastic Beasts film coming out, which I will be at. I will also be there. The Wizarding World carries on and it takes us with it, whether we like it or not. Picks up steam. Oh, it does, won't it just? So, a very busy few weeks ahead, but before all of that, by all means, go and see Bohemian Rhapsody. We hope you enjoy it, and if you do enjoy it, or if you don't enjoy it, you can let us know. We are on Twitter, at CineMattersPod, and our email address is still the same. It is mattersofcine at gmail.com. Or just send us a recording of you singing Galileo. However many Galileos you need, it can be one, but the maximum is five. But if you don't want to sing any Galileos, that is also fine, just as long as you keep going to the cinemas.